Good to see you all. Happy Sabbath. So the topic for this weekend is why church? Why church? And last weekend, um, we spent some time connecting to God. This series is called Connect. Um, and so we have been trying to talk about connecting with God. And in this weekend, we're talking about connecting to the community, to the church. And I'm pretty sure I'm preaching to the choir tonight. But um, the importance of church, and it's something that is lost to a lot of people today, um, and especially to our generation. Um, church has become just one option of many options for the weekend. Um, and let me just share some facts before we get into it too much. According to the recent Australian census that happens every five years, the last one was in 2011, according to that census, less than 10% of Australians attend church each weekend. And in Melbourne, that number is 8.4% um, in 2010, which is just a little bit more than the number of people attending AFL football games each weekend. If the current 20-year trend continues, uh, there's been a decline. This could end up as low as 5% in the next few years. Over 60% hardly or ever um, attend church, and this percentage is growing every year as well. The majority of non-attenders are either indifferent or apathetic towards the church, and some are antagonistic. So the question then becomes, why are the numbers so low? Why is it that people don't go to church anymore? Because in the past, they used to. The numbers have declined. Um, every, every time they do the census, the numbers decline. When the Australian Community Survey, which was a, a survey conducted jointly by Perth's Edith uh, Cowan University and the National Australian National Church Life Survey, they surveyed 8,500 people across eight community types. And these were the top 10 reasons that they stated that uh, the reasons for which they don't go to church. Number one, they said it was boring. Um, the church was, was unfulfilling. Number two, they disagree with the beliefs of the church. Number three, they disagree with the church's moral views. Um, number four, they just didn't feel a need to attend church. Number five, they preferred to do other things. Number six, they said, uh, my beliefs are too weak. Number seven, the way churches are organized um, didn't appeal to them. Number eight, they had other commitments. Number nine, they had bad experiences amongst church people. And number 10, they just did not have enough time because of their work. Now, this um, survey was done in 1998, which is a bit outdated. And so then I found another survey um, that was done just a few years ago. And in this one, they listed the top five. They said, number one, they think the sermons are boring or irrelevant. Number two, they don't like the music. Three, there is nothing for the children. Four, the people are unfriendly. And five, the church is always asking for money. So this is in Australia, uh, all these statistics um, that people gave as the reason that they don't attend church regularly. There were a handful in that percentage of the, um, the in the original Australian Census Survey, that said about 20% attend church once in a while. Um, not very frequently, but once in a while. So it was 8.4% in Melbourne that attends weekly, and then about 20% once in a while, maybe Christmas, Easter, that kind of thing. And then the 60% who don't attend at all. Now, originally, as I prepared for this topic, I had um, 10 pages <laughs> 
of uh, notes and Bible passages and commentary about the meaning of church. Because, you know, we could, rather than just kind of going through and refuting the reasons why people don't go to church and trying to answer all of them, I thought, well, let's talk about the meaning of church or why should we want to go to church. Um, and originally, like I said, I had 10 pages and there's so much about the church that's actually in the Bible. Um, for example, uh, the church as a bride with Jesus as the husband, the church as a temple with Jesus as the foundation, the church as an assembly that is called out to worship. Um, and if you want to know more about that, you're welcome to my rough draft that has 10 pages. Um, and you're also welcome to look at any of these passages that address that deeper. But I wanted to tonight just focus on one because there's so much we could we could talk about. But I wanted to share and really focus in on one metaphor that Jesus used um, and the and the early Christian leaders used to describe the church, and that is the church as Jesus's third incarnation to the world. What do I mean by that? So incarnation means embodied in the flesh. And let me ask you: When was Jesus's first incarnation? So when Jesus was born in a little town called Bethlehem, um, if you've ever heard the Christmas story, um, Jesus came in the flesh to become a human being. There was a second time that Jesus was incarnate or um, made into something tangible. Anyone have a guess at it? So if you look in John chapter 1, Verse 1, it talks about how in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you jump down to John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus Christ is also the Word. And so he t- in, in, throughout His ministry, He talked about how you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And he talks about how his words are what brings about life. And if you remember, before he um, died on the cross, he had this last supper with his disciples. And he took some bread and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body broken for you. So he equates the bread with the word of God and with his own body. Um, and so when he broke that bread and gave it to them and they were supposed to partake of that, it was supposed to be a reminder of Jesus's physical body that had been broken for them, that sacrifice that Jesus made on behalf of everyone, but also it was supposed to remind them that they were supposed to digest the word of God together, to break it, to analyze it, to, to make it a part of their life, to make it um, functional so that it would actually be lived out. Um, so I kind of like to call that Jesus's second incarnation, if you will. And we have access to that through the word of God, through the Bible. But there's a third incarnation of Jesus' body where he becomes flesh. And that is through the church. So if you go to Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. This is Paul, uh, who was an early Christian pioneer. He became um, a Christian after seeing a vision of Jesus. He says in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, 
form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So notice how um, Paul is describing how every member of the church has a role to play and how together they form one body, and it's the body of Christ. And he talks about how the members all are different, but they have one common purpose, and they are unified. And if you look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16, he, he comes back to this theme. He says, and he, this is talking about Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. In other words, he says every part of the body needs to function actively in order for the whole body to grow well. In other words, you need your brain to be able to fire the signals, but then you need your nervous system to be able to receive those signals and then carry it out to the appropriate parts of the body. The muscles have to receive that signal and know when to release and contract. The joints have to receive that signal and know uh, when to slide or release or move or whatever the joints do. Every part of the body has to function according to its role and has to function in a healthy way in order for the whole body to grow. You all know Micah. Um, you know that he's two years old now. And it's amazing because in the past few weeks, all of a sudden, you know, something clicked in his mind and he's able to talk now. Um, you know, just even two, three weeks ago, he would just kind of point or make sounds. But now he's actually saying words, words I didn't know he knew. Like yesterday, this is for some reason the only example that comes to my mind. Yesterday, he pulled out a booger and he said booger <laughs> um, in Korean. But I didn't teach him that word. I don't know how he knows that word. You know, it's amazing to me. He just surprises me with all these words that I didn't know he knew. Um, or, you know, he'll, he's eating and he spills some and he'll tell me, I spilled. Well, he doesn't say I spilled. He's a spill. And so he's telling me words and he's able to express himself. And it's amazing to see him growing uh, before my eyes. He's still pretty short, but he's growing in other ways. And when we see a child that grows um, we can see, okay, his brain is working, his heart is working. Every part of his body that's supposed to be working to make him grow, you can tell is functioning, which is why you can see the growth that is evident in his life. And the Bible says that in order for the church to grow into the fullness of the measure of Christ, right? Because if we are Jesus's body, then the body is not just stagnant. It's a moving organism. Can you imagine our church here, we're small. We're almost like a little baby, baby church. And I, whenever I tell people um, about my life here in Australia, I say, 
I had a baby and I have a church plant, and they both grew at the same time. Um, they were both kind of born around the same time. And I say, and they're both in about the similar stages of kind of like toddlerish stage where um, lots of growth is happening, but still not completely independent and, and full. And it's not something to be discouraged at. It's something to be very excited about because that's exactly where we should be. But if we don't continue to grow, if we're not each of us doing our part, then we might kind of just stay stagnant. And so Paul is pointing out a very important um, function of the church as a body. In order for the body to grow, every member has to be active in fulfilling his or her role. And I love that image of growing into the fullness of Christ. I love that image of our church becoming more and more like Jesus until the day when someone can clearly be able to say, wow, that church, that church body, everybody working together represents a picture of God that I want for myself. There's um, a book called Why People Don't Go to Church Anymore. And uh, the writer, Dr. John Bellamy, talks about how People who don't go to church anymore thinking, there are some people who don't go to church anymore thinking, I don't need church in order to grow spiritually. I can just continue to my, my relationship with God and it'll be fine. But he notices that um, when you kind of survey their progress over time, at first, like that video showed earlier, they might be all right, you know. You can sit on a stool with one leg for a bit. But can you really sustain it? And this is what Dr. Bellamy says. He says, we also noted that among people who had left church life, that their adherence, their holding on to Christian beliefs, appears to diminish as time goes on. We noted a fairly clear lineal relationship between the length of time they were out of church life and whether or not they held Orthodox Christian beliefs. That says to us that involvement in congregation is important to the building up of that kind of faith and indeed the maintenance of it. In order for us to have that accountability in order for us to grow spiritually in order for us to have um, a better understanding of the bible we actually do need to come to church we actually do need to interact with each other we need to hear sermons we need to have discussions we need to have bible studies we need that collective corporate worship experience in order to have that better picture of god and if you think about it it makes sense because each one of us is like a puzzle piece each one of us has a relationship with God that gives us a, a picture of who God is. But because we're all different, my experience of God is going to be slightly different from Michael's experience of God or Vanessa's experience of God. But I need to learn what Vanessa's view of God is. I need to see what Sam's experience of God is. And as we share together, we can then have a more complete picture of who God is. And we can then represent a more complete picture to the rest of the world of who God is. We need each other to have that puzzle completed in order for others and for ourselves even to see the bigger picture of God and his plan for humanity. For humanity. Here's another part of what it means to be a body of Christ. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this passage is a bit long. Bear with me. Paul says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? 
And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No much rather those members of the one body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. I really like this metaphor of the body for the church because it really upholds the integrity of the individual, right? Every individual has unique gifts. Every individual has unique roles. But at the same time, it upholds that that uniqueness and that individualism has to work within a whole and that we are actually supposed to all suffer when one suffers. And I don't know about you, but I can feel it when one person is absent, right? You can tell something's not quite right. Um, something's missing from church when that person is not there. And it's because we all have that place, that role that we play. And if one person is down that day, and you can tell it, it really does affect the whole group. And that's not to say, therefore, we have to always bring our A game. But it just, it just means that the, the level of genuine care for one another will impact the kind of church that we become. And according to the Bible, we are supposed to care. When one part suffers, the whole suffers. You know that a few months ago I had my gallbladder removed? If you think about it, it was such a tiny, tiny problem. I had some uh, gallstones, and science cannot explain why. No one knows why. I had gallstones, and they got stuck in my liver duct, a very tiny part of my body. That you can't see, that's not a major organ, it's a tiny, tiny thing. But in that duct, five gallstones got stuck. And it caused, as Vanessa and David and James witnessed, and Roy, intense pain. Like, they were over at my house, like, I think we we're eating, like, falafels or something. And I just doubled over in intense pain, couldn't breathe, and it was bad. And, yeah, when one tiny part of your body suffers, your whole body reacts, right? And that's how our bodies are. So imagine if Jesus says, the church is my body, right? One member, however insignificant you may feel, however new you are to that body, or however um, quiet you think you are, and maybe you think no one notices, you matter. Every one of us matters to this church and to this body. And if you're going through a difficult time, it matters to us. We care about that, and we want to be there to, to help you through it and to just hold your hand through it. And if you're having a wonderful time and you have something to rejoice in and something to celebrate, then we can celebrate together as well. It's amazing how um, Jesus uses this metaphor of the body to show us the uniqueness of and the, um, the, necessary ne- the unique and necessary um, contribution that each individual can make but also how much we really do need that community and how we all work together. This is um, another 
oneness of the church as a body um, is not just for our benefit alone. And I like how this idea of the body can be used uh, in different ways. When Jesus started the church with the 12 disciples, he gave them a very specific mission. And let me share that mission with you. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. According to this passage, what is the goal of the church? What was the mission that he left with his disciples? Okay, spread the good news. Teach. Yeah, I mean, spreading the good news and teaching are part of that process of how to fulfill the mission. But the ultimate mission is to make disciples. He's a go and make disciples. And um, you do that by going and baptizing and teaching and and commanding, etc. Well, disciples are not made by simply giving them an instruction manual and saying, here, this is how you become a disciple. By definition, a disciple is somebody who follows. And in this Christian context, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. And when Jesus first called his disciples, he only said two sentences to them. He said, come and see. And he said, follow me. Come and see and follow me. Because disciples are made not by doing and and having a checklist. Disciples are made by following, observing someone and of having a relationship with that person and then becoming like that person. And so when Jesus says, go make disciples, what he's saying is, do what I did. Go out there and build relationships with individuals and make them like you who are like me. And so disciples by necessity are made through community. Jesus also explain a different way of what what it means to be disciple, how people will know that you are his disciples. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my, my disciples, if you what? Have love for one another. In other words, Jesus is saying, being a disciple and making disciples has to be done in community. Like that video was saying before um, I spoke, when God said, let us make man in our image, and then he created man and woman, and he wanted them to have children, he says, they are in my image. There's a plurality, there's a community in God that is reflected in humanity. And it is that love relationship, that character of God that he has in Trinity that he wants us to experience as a church family and as the body of Christ. David Kinnaman, who is the president of the Barna Group, said, Church is a place that is meant to be very different from anything else we may experience. Other institutions of family or workplace or social clubs, because it connects people across boundaries. It's a beautiful expression of what human relationships ought to look like between people of different age groups, genders, racial and ethnic backgrounds, vocational arenas. It's a great example of why we have to keep pursuing the church in its ideal form. In other words, when we can love each other, each other who you honestly might not have met 
if it weren't through church because they have nothing in common with you. Um, but when you meet them in church and when we are able to love one another, despite our differences, it shows the world that we are his disciples. And it shows the world that we have a unique character of God that they can get to know themselves. There's another metaphor um, that relates to this idea. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In that verse, that word workmanship is derived from the Greek word poeo, or poetry. And in um, his book, Grace for the Moment, Max Lucado wrote that the church is a poem, that each one of us is a word, and that we need each other to have meter, rhyme, and meaning. This is what he says. He says, God uses all types to type his message. Logical thinkers, emotional worshipers, dynamic leaders, docile followers, the visionaries who lead, the studious who ponder, the generous who pay the bills. Alone, we are meaningless symbols on a page, but collectively, we inspire. And I like that because, once again, it reinforces the idea that collectively, as a whole, we reflect that body of Christ. And Jesus has promised that when he is lifted up, when people can see him clearly, that he will draw all people to himself. And so if we, each of us, do our part to create that full picture of Jesus, then the world will be drawn to Jesus. And, you know, there's many cultural especially in Australia, um, norms that go against that idea of interdependence. Because here in Australia, we like to be very independent, right? Pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. Don't ask anyone for help. To each his or her own, your business is your business. I'll do my thing. You do your thing. Let's keep our distance. But try telling that to the Kiribati president. Kiribati is, uh, the Republic of Kiribati is an island that is located in the Central Pacific Ocean, halfway between the U.S. and Australia, kind of close to Hawaii. I had to look it up because I didn't know where Kiribati was. Um, I was listening to the radio yesterday, and on um, ABC News Radio, Eleanor Hall was doing an interview with the president of the Republic of Kiribati. And the reason why they were having this interview is because um, the government uh, recently has made a decision to reduce emissions. And the president of Kiribati um, cares very much about that because his country is comprised of 33 small islands that are rapidly being covered by rising seawater as a result of global warming. So he was doing this interview with Eleanor Hall, and he was talking about how some of the villages have already been completely submerged. He's had to relocate them to different areas, and he thinks that in the next 30 to 60 years, um, and if things are made worse than possibly even 20 years, his entire country will be gone, will be underwater. And so he was here in Parliament, talking to the Parliament, and then he's ducked out of Parliament to quickly do this interview. And, of course, this is all in preparation for the UN climate um, uh, con convention that they're going to have in Paris at the end of the year. At the end of their interview, Eleanor Hall asked uh, the president, you say that Kiribati is like the canary in the coal mine for climate change. At what point do you think leaders in Australia and other developed countries will sit up and take notice? And this is what he said. Uh, by the way, this is a picture of how slowly and surely um, the islands are being submerged. This is how he answered the question. He said, I don't know. 
Sometimes I like to pray to God to say, you know, why don't you show them a demonstration to make the message that this is happening? The reality is people don't feel things. We see them on television, but we don't feel it. I would like to invite all these people to come here to see what it is that we have to contend with. As human beings, we must see the need to do something about what is happening, because after all, we have made the contribution to making it happen. It's not about politics. It's not about the economics. It's about survival. Not only, not only of those countries like us on the front line, but it's about the survival of the planet into the future. But if we keep the attitude that no, it will not affect us, then definitely that is true for Australia. But it is already affecting us. The question is, do you care? And um, as I was listening to this radio yesterday, after driving back, meeting with Vanessa, I was just thinking to myself, what a, for him, urgent. Um, and poignant matter, right? For him, it's true. It isn't just about politics. It's not about economics. It is about survival. And I was thinking about this interview while I was preparing for the sermon, and I was thinking about how the church really is needed by the world. How, perhaps not as it has been, but but to what it can be and what it should be. The church as a body of Christ really needs to be shared and it's not about politics, and it's not about economics. It's about survival, not of only the Christians on the front line, but of humanity into the future. It's time to realize that we need to make a difference, that we can make a difference, that it is time to care and to act. We have a mission here at the Melbourne City Avenue Church. The mission is to actually create a safe place where you can explore a Christ-centered worldview. What will make that possible for you? What will make it possible for someone you know and want to invite? What will make it possible for the 60% of Australians who never attend church? You know, Roy and I, in our spare times, we dream about the possibilities of this church. We dream about being that church that reflects the character, the body of Christ to Melbourne in such a way that they can see who God is clearly. We dream about creating that safe place where we can relate to people who don't attend church and, and form those relationships that hopefully will lead them to ask, why do you love each other? Why is it that you are different? What is it about you that I see that is different from the, the norms of the world? And we dream about, you know, what is that safe place going to look like? And we t- we've talked about in the past three years we've been here, you know, is, is it a childcare center? And is it a fitness center? Is it a cafe? You know, we've, we've talked about a lot of things. And ultimately, what we really want is to be a church that doesn't just meet here on the 10th floor of 500 Collins Street, but has a presence in the city where people in the city are blessed by the fact that we're here, that the people in the city gain, gain a blessing. Um, even if even if they can't quite put a finger on it, even if right, and they might not be spiritually interested right away, just something that they know, yep, I know that church exists and I know what they stand for and I know who they're trying to share and I like that picture, even if they disagree with it, that they would be able to say, yep, I can see. I can see who they think they represent. I want to invite you to dream with us. I want to invite you to plan with us, to brainstorm with us, to pray with us. And, you know, in a few weeks' time, hopefully we can have that open forum where we can just share and pray and brainstorm about that. But 
you know, even if we don't get to that place of being having that awesome building in, in the city that's open to the public and has a counseling center on the third floor and a pastoral office on the second, we've, we've, you know, got all the pictures in our minds. But even if we don't have that, what can we do now to create that safe environment where anyone, you, your loved ones, someone off the street, can explore a Christ-centered worldview and can see Christ? And I want to suggest to you and I want to challenge you that the only way that can happen is if each of us plays our part, if each of us is an active part of that body of Christ. And I guarantee you are not here by accident, that you are already a part of that body. But it's time to discover your gifts. It's time to discover your role. And it's time to work together as a whole to truly make that happen. And so tomorrow, as Pastor Brendan Pratt um, comes and shares with us about how the church is relevant in a society like ours, and as uh, Graham Fraunfelder comes and helps us experience what it means to be a community, I hope and pray that um, this weekend will really bless you and that you'll leave um, praying and brainstorming and, and dreaming of what this church can be. Thank you. Uh, actually, I'll just close with prayer. Father God, I want to thank you for giving us an opportunity to be a part of this church. We want to thank you for giving us this wonderful space in the city. And we ask that you would help us to make the most of it. That this won't just be a routine, um, formal act that we just do once a week. But that, Father, this will be a place, this will be a community, this will be a body of Christ that moves and grows and presents a picture of you to Melbourne City And Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come and dwell with us, to be incarnate in this church, so that, Father God, once more, your presence can be felt in this world. And we pray that you will reveal to each one of us how we can um, perform our part in this church and how, Father God, together um, as a collective unit, we can do more for you and for the people around us. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.